Uh, Bill, thanks for joining. How you doing? Doing great, Randy. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Nor, always great to see you. How you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Good to see you. All right. Good to, good to be seen. Well, really excited about this uh, episode number 63 of the Tech Sales Podcast. Uh, we're very pumped to have Bill Hogan, who's uh, recently joined uh, Beyond Identity as a CRO. Uh, so they are definitely going to be poised for lots of fantastic greatness. Uh, this, as always, is brought to you by Sales Community. And today we are sponsored by Outreach, who uh, Bill knows and loves. So the uh, plug for Outreach is they're the first and only engagement intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. 5,000 customers, over 70% of the cloud 100, 19 of the 25 fastest growing uh, public SaaS companies. So uh fantastic platform that we will hear more about. Uh, fortunately, I've had the pleasure of knowing Bill uh, probably since we were both Cub Scouts. So uh, we overlapped a little bit at uh, BC, but more uh, early days at EMC when uh, he was a telemarketer. And uh, we, we all knew from um, probably the, the first week that he was poised for greatness for sure. Uh, was a sponge when it came to just kind of learning and developing always had great relationships and as he's developed over the years has been amazingly successful and without sucking up just kind of fantastic personality. If I were a rep or leader, I would love to work for him. Always a fan of the channel, always very authentic, doesn't BS at all. And uh, more importantly, I can vouch he's a fantastic uh, father, husband and family man. So uh, Bill, feel free to disagree, but uh, re really excited to have you on here today. And the title today is The First 90 Days, which you are right in the middle of, so uh, look forward to hearing more. Excellent. Again, thank you for the kind words. It's been a, you know, you, you, you personify uh, friendship and advocacy and, you know, spirited uh, the, the community of sales that we have. It's, uh, you know, so, so appropriate that you, you've developed in this company called Sales Community because you've lived and breathed and built it, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. So again, thank you for having us on here today. All right, thank you. So how about starting off with a personal intro, where you've been, what you've done, kind of how you arrived here? Sure, sure. So as you, uh, as you alluded to earlier, you know, I got my, my start at EMC, spent 10, 10 glorious years back in the 90s, uh, started as a, a SDR, BDR, and um, when I left, I was running about a billion-dollar organization in Tri-State in New York, and it was fabulous. Uh, some of the best sales leaders and the best sales execution capabilities um, that, that I've ever witnessed, um, I witnessed during those first 10 years of my career, and I've taken that with me everywhere. Um, left to do something smaller and what I felt at the time more impactful. Uh, did my first startup, Storage Apps. We, we were successful and sold that company to Hewlett Packard inside of a year. Um, left EMC because it was too big for where I wanted to be then. You can only imagine what I thought about HP when I got there. Wonderful company, forever <laughs> in debt to them. But it was just it wasn't for me for what I was looking to do. I wanted smaller, more impact at that level. And um, at the time, I would have thought startup again. But candidly, uh, young, young family, not sure. And I knew I wanted to be in New York. 
I decided that uh, I was just going to be good at being in New York and, and go where my career took me. So I, I bypassed the startup world then. Could have said I didn't have to. I don't know. That was my choice. I found NetApp, and I had 10 glorious years at NetApp. Um, some, some friends uh, that I'll cherish forever. Uh, EMC was my, my, my foundational skill set. Um, my growing years really were at NetApp. I, I came in at a higher level. Um, we very much cared about culture and how we did things. And um, it just really was a great 10 years in terms of, uh, of helping take a company from a point in time. Uh, $700 million when I joined, $7 billion when we left. 40% channel when I joined, 90% channel when I left. And um, as I joke uh, affectionately with my friends across the globe, uh, when you're part of that kind of growth for that period of time, with that kind of shift from, from direct to channel, um, you build up an awful lot of goodwill. <laughs> you make a lot of friends. And, uh, and, and fortunately for me, that carried me through my shift over to uh, my security journey, which I started after I left NetApp, which Dan Warmanhoven, then chairman of NetApp, told me as we were playing golf at, at Cyprus when I told Dan that I was most likely not going to come back for the next year. Um, he kind of laughed. He said, uh, he goes, Bill, at the time, he goes, I love NetApp. I've given it everything. But, you know, it's time for me to go back to where growth is. And I'm running to security. I'm going to do boards. I'm going to do other things. My suggestion is you do the same. It's the number one problem that exists today, and it will be for the rest of our shelf lives. So a direction towards security was made there. Uh, owned and operated a bar briefly. Had my first security practice in there. Um, that wasn't what I hoped it was going to be. Uh, got my vendor side chops at Fortinet for a couple of years and then found Security Scorecard, a New York-based Sequoia Google venture-backed uh, cyber startup at sub-5 million in ARR and had four really wonderful years there, you know, helping take a company from sub-5 million in revenue to over 70 to unicorn status. Uh, a lot of friends, a lot of growth, learning SaaS. Um, really refining my skills and my, my relationships in the security marketplace. Um, good time, really ended things very amiably there. My son and my daughter still work there. Uh, wish them nothing but success. But it's, I wanted to go find a new challenge, and I found Beyond Identity. Um, we're going to change the way uh, people view passwords, change the way people view uh, preventing uh, the, you know, the, the, the ransomware, preventing the attack. Uh, we have to get to prevention. We can't just get to response, right? And how we do things will revolutionize uh, the security landscape forever. I'm passwordless in my, in my first three weeks here is life-changing. I, I, I could never possibly imagine going back to a world where I need to use passwords again. And more importantly, I can see where this tech is going to take the commercial landscape where we can give that great user experience at a heightened level of security, which is the important piece, um, to consumers around the globe. So uh, without making that shift, without the direction that Warmanhoven gave me, um, I wouldn't have found myself to be in this position. And I'm super excited and super unfortunate for what lies ahead. So, Bill, great, great background. Um, for our audience, we're live on several platforms. We'd love to have you jump in with your questions, comments. I think we've got one from Jesse. Bill, what would you say is one thing that makes someone great in sales? Obviously, we all know it's multiple attributes, but if you were to pick one, I'm going to go to you first, then I'm going to go to uh, a recital. This is from Jesse. So one thing that makes someone great in sales? It, it, it's it's got to be persistence. I mean, you, you got to have thick skin. 
and and you've got to you've got to will yourself to win um, through obstacles, through adversity, through no's. Our business is the business of eliciting yeses, um, and and there there's an artful way to do that. Uh, there's an annoying way to do that. Um, there's a persevering way to do that. At the end of the day, you got to find your way. But but persistence and, and and the will to win is something that a great salesperson has to have. So, Randy, I'm going to ask you the same. Give me one thing that makes someone really great at sales. All right, I'm going to say be a uh, continuous learner. So I will often tell uh, you know SDR groups, you know, think of it more. You know, everybody thinks you're winging it, but think of it more as uh, you know you're an accountant. And you got to be always learning. You got to be very detailed across all the different steps that are necessary for uh, for for success. And, Beautiful. Uh, we, we have a, a LinkedIn user. Didn't say their name, but uh, you put it in. I'll, I'll add on a second, even though you didn't give it to me. But uh, says uh, making the call. So when I was at HP, large organization, I was there after Bill, and I figured out, okay, what is you have to have one mantra, right? So many things. So I just had sales calls. So I said, okay, on average, I think. We're probably somewhere between, you know, three and four a week. You know, let's get to eight to 10. By the way, I'm going to lead by example. My leader's going to lead by example. So if we can just do more sales calls, it's a numbers game. That's going to move the needle a lot. Love it. I'm going to add uh, build phenomenal relationships. If you lead with a relationship, if you ensure it's mutual value creation, if you are not penny wise and pound foolish and not just do the deal and then forget about them, uh, I think those will serve you really well over the years. So, Jesse, thanks for that. We're getting some great comments in the in the uh, in the comment section. Really want to encourage our audience to jump in. You've got a ton of experience with a uh, Bill Hogan, Seidel. I've seen a few companies along the way as well. Would love to answer your questions. So, Bill, hey David, hey David yeah. can, I, can I pile on one more comment? Because I want to give a real life example that literally just happened today, which brings us back to a point in time. I had a meeting with my old. BDR leader and my new BDR leader and my sales leader and a couple of the BDRs and we're talking about accelerating the toolkit that we have. By the way, outreach, awesome toolkit. One of the things we talked about was using them, using their sequencing. But one of the things I also brought to, to, to light there is it, it's awesome for sequencing, but you also still have to get to the personalization piece. You can't automate everything, right? And that's where relationships come in. I can't send a canned email to somebody I've known for 20 years, right? I got to personalize that even if the canned is a great message, right? So, so as I was talking to this young BDR leader, I'm like, you need to understand this. I'm your CRO. Like I've done, I've got 30 years of experience doing this. I'm spending time customizing my emails because it's important because I'm taking into consideration the other person on the other end of that email. I want them to know it's coming from me. I want to get that response. So, so you think you're a BDR now and you're interviewing for a rep job soon. Don't ever let go of what you're being taught right now as a BDR because if you think it changes the further up you go in the organization, it would be the first big mistake you made in your career. So, so Randy had drilled that to me at an early age. I continue to drill it into SDRs and BDRs every opportunity I get. And it's really a fab fabulous way for people to start their career in sales. And for when you're partnering with companies, to get to those people because we've got to dummy down the message so young professionals can qualify quick, get attention, and move the ball forward. So anyway. Love, love that. No, no, a lot of great wisdom from, from uh, Bill and, and Randy. So, Bill, you started going down this path. I'd love to learn more about Beyond Identity. How, what, what's, and, and, you know, tell us a little about the company. Tell us a little about technology and what attracted you there. Sure. Um, so, Young Company, you know, founded in 2019. 
um, you know, publicly launched as a company in April of 2020, right about the time COVID hit, right? So uh, interesting ramp for them in the last couple of years. Three core products, secure work, secure DevOps, secure customer. We've raised about 105 million to date, um, uh, post B round company, uh, massive space. I think you're gonna see more interesting things coming uh, soon on, on that front. Uh, the founders, uh, Jim Clark and TJ Hermelik, you know, these guys are industry legends. You know, they, they founded Silicon Graphics, uh, founded Netscape, um, been involved in Healthy on WebMD and, and just success after success. So um, that was very, very, very attractive. And the problem that they're trying to solve is a real problem. I and mean, there was something come out recently um, from Biden's new edicts in terms of what needs to be. And, you know, this isn't going to make folks from from MFA companies happy, but basically the U.S. government just came down and said MFAs are useless and they're not good enough. And if, if you're using a push-based MFA, you can't, you know, basically need not apply, right? What we're delivering is the first unfishable MFA, right? It's an invisible MFA, if you will. We're, we're taking zero trust. We're putting it at the, at the front end to the point where people can't be penetrated. And you know, what people have done for the last couple of years makes sense to a degree. And you did the best you could with what was available. But but life changes. Better ways to do things are there. The fact that it's more economical, even the better. And it will change the way people handle the supply chain and third party and passwords and the interaction internally in organizations and externally to our customers forever. Easy to use. One-time passcodes, you know, no one-time passcodes, no magic links, no secondary devices, easy to set up, more secure any way to authenticate. We verify the identity of the user to the device, and then it makes BYOD a non-issue, and it's continuous in the check. So revolutionary stuff led by revolutionary industry pioneers, and um, the tech is super sound. Jason Casey's CTO is, you know, one of the best I've ever worked with. And uh, super excited about being here. Who is the buyer still that CISO, CIO type of a buyer? Or who's, who, are you, who are you engaging? So, so it depends on the product set, but it's, it's definitely it's a multifaceted value prop for, for any corporation. We'll start with CISO, CIO, um, and they'll be, depending on the organization and depending on the you know, like technical level interest of, of said CISO or CIO, they'll then sanction us further into the organization. The secure work product is you know, to secure your own perimeter. That, that, that's something that's going to be handled by identity folks and security folks as that bridges um, in, in reality these days. Uh, secure DevOps would be, you know, head of product, head of tech, head of engineering, where, you know, they can have a secure way to make sure that that, that shared pool that's out there is easy, easy to use. And the secure customer, you know, um, for the Siam piece, you know, that, that can be, that's the president, the CEO, the board, the CRO, and validated by head of product, head of tech, head of CISO, because you have to make sure it works. But there's a real competitive advantage of, inc of improving the secure way by which your customer, um, whether it's a freemium customer or a paid customer, finds you, is secure, and the user experience that they have. So, so it's multifaceted in the platform that we provide, C-level, interest level for sure, and then we'll get support further into the organization from there. But it'll be a top-down, top-down, bottoms-up approach. Randy, it's good to see Frank Rouse joining us, and I think he's got a question. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> Frank says uh, to Bill, 
what different sales leadership qualities are critical in EMC, NetApp, Fortinet versus the startups? Uh, great question, Frank, and always good to see and hear from you, my friend. Um, you know, I think if you go back to the EMC days, you know, EMC was a $100 million company when, when I joined, and it was younger than that before when Randy joined. So, you know, it was in the startup mode, right? That, that sense of urgency, the fire in the belly, right? That, th those are two things that I look for because, you know, sometimes experience brings a lot to the table. Sometimes those two things got lost along the way, right? So I like been there, done that, but I, I like people have to have the build in them, right? I love early EMC folk. I love early NetApp transition folk, you know, folk that had to go knock down the mountain, not necessarily the one that farmed the mountain once it was there. They're both meaningful, strong, impactful jobs and, and require high levels of skill, but, but we're taking a hill. We're creating a market. So you got, you got to be innovative. You got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, it's not going to be a perfect setup. You have to be resourceful. You can't need the world of resources at your fingertips to kind of do basic things. You, you, you gotta, you gotta be an innovator. You gotta be a challenger. You gotta be somebody that wants to go out there and really lead from the front. So that sense of urgency, that personal accountability, <clears throat> that desire to be a part of the bill, that want to be, the want to, to be ahead of it and, 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 and not need to be given direction for every step of the way. That's what I'm looking for in leadership in, uh, in any level, but particularly in the younger the company and the startups because you, you can't survive without it. Brilliant. Yeah, and I'd uh, add on there too. I think, uh, you know, obviously EMC and NetApp got great kudos for strong sales forces, but um, I think a lot of times the engineering or, you know, product management gets forgotten about. And I think having, um, you know, whether it's sales reps or sales leaders that know how to communicate and tie back internally to the engineering leaders. And then likewise, having an engineering culture that's very customer centric, because you may start off with, you know, the, the standard line is engineers say, well, the customers are stupid. They don't know what they need. Like, okay, well, they're writing the check. So, you know, how, you know making sure that you have the engineering group involved in understanding the customers and the needs and the sales calls so you can kind of pivot the product accordingly so you can have a home run product which is then that much easier to sell yeah no that's a great uh, great great point so so bill obviously the topic of this session first 90 days can you break down kind of key areas you tend to focus on and why sure so uh, you know, I think it starts with the selection process to begin with, right? You have to, you got to be honest with yourself, the opportunity that you're looking for, right? I, I talk to people forever at various levels of their career and, and they're, they're, they're seeking advice for what they want to go do next. And the question I ask is, what do you think you want to do? It's kind of a simple question, but it's the question I ask. And I said, have you thought about size and scope of company? And very, very often the response I get on the other side is, what do you mean? Right. Again, for, for those very experienced, not so much, but you'd be surprised, right? You'd be surprised. And no, knowing what, where you're really good and, and where you need work, being self-aware of strengths and weaknesses, you may choose to do something because you want to refine a skill. That's great. But if you, if, you don't, if you have blind spots to what you're good at and what you're not, you know, that makes it even harder for you to figure out what it is you're looking for next. So, so I think in that selection process, I mean, do you want to be with a big brand name that's got lots of resources, that's got good, you know, brand identity and that, that that's an already created situation where you're going to have to sustain and build? Or 
do you want something smaller, right? And again, you want smaller, smaller public, you know, where you're going to have to get involved in some cross-functional stuff or do a lot of heavy lifting, or do you want to go smaller? Well, you're really going to be a pioneer on the head of it. So these are things you have to crystallize for yourself. You can take an opportunity at different places, but you're going to have to know why, right? So I, I looked at a couple of things that came to me, and it didn't take me long to figure out I didn't want to do it. They're awesome companies, awesome jobs, awesome opportunities, just not for me. Like, I, I didn't want to go to an already public company, right? So um, I thought maybe smaller public then i looked at it i'm like no i don't want to do that i want to i want to go build something from the bottom up so i think that selection piece is a really good place to start i know that wasn't your question Dave, <laughs> um but i think it starts there no right? I, it's a great it's a great point and i think i mentioned to you a good friend tasha yurek does a lot of research on self-awareness and i love her comment that 95 percent of leaders believe they're self-aware when in fact, less than 10% are. So she says the other 85% are lying to themselves. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Of what do you really want to go do? What I love that self-selection. Are you honest with yourself where you're a good fit and where you're not? So that's a, it's a good segue to your question, right? Because you, you know, perception's reality, right? So your reputation means a lot, right? You know, and, you know, I went through various stages of my career. I go, my, when, I, when I went to NetApp, it was funny. So I was at EMC for 10 years. I did a startup, sold it to HP, took a year off, and then joined NetApp. Early days NetApp, there were a bunch of people at NetApp were like, how could you work at EMC? Like, the evil machine company. Like, like I mean, and the stories that I heard, it's like, guys, I love EMC. I, I had a wonderful 10 years. I literally think Eric Mann and I were the first two people at NetApp to have good experiences at EMC. And EMC wasn't for everybody. No, no, everything's not for everybody. But EMC was a wonderful organization that, that, that I thrived at. By the time I got to NetApp, I was a different and more evolved human being. It had nothing to do with my prior successes. But it was funny. One of the, the re reputational challenges I had to overcome at NetApp was that, that I, as an individual, potentially personified some of the unfair stereotypes that were put on some EMC talent at the time, right? You know, we thrived in it, it's good, but, but they're little things. I couldn't ignore that. I couldn't ignore the reputation that preceded me. And to some extent, that reputation still precedes me. I'm hard charging, I, I'm direct, I'm from New York, I'm the son of a civil servant, I'm a straight shooter, what you see is what you get. These are all real. So I, I can't all of a sudden show up at my new job, my new company, and think that I'm just going to take on a whole new persona, right? And that the reputation that precedes me is not one I'm going to live at, live with. That's where that self-awareness is so important, Dave. Like, I know who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. My, my, high, my, my board here knows who I am. My legion of people that I've worked with over my career knows who I am. My customers, my partners know who I am. I want to leverage that. And it's just important. So when you get started, you already have people that are formulating opinions of you. So then what do you have to do, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, you only are to this current task, this current role that you, that you go into, you know, the, the, the collective perception of the people that you influence and have responsible for to the goal at hand, right? So what do you do? You got to meet the team. You got to meet the customers. You got to meet the channel partners. Got to do a deep dive on the processes and the tools. You got to develop your 30, 60, 90 day plan with an open ear, right? I can't just show up day one at a company of any size and say, hey, look at me. I did all this. So this is how we're going to do things now. 
Doesn't work that way. That's a, that's a certified recipe for disaster, right? You got to respect that which has come before you. You got to take the time to learn the history of the place you're going to, the people, how things get done, what the culture's like, what works, potentially what doesn't work. Don't be too quick to rush to judgment because you may not understand it. And then, then you'll evolve to put your footprint on that organization. But that assessment phase is perfect, and there's, there's no better way. Like, I'm, I'm on day 13 right now. Since I've been here, I've been to Boston, been to New York, been upstate, been to London. I'm going to Texas next week, and I'm going to California the week after that. You know, inside of 30 days, I'll put myself in a position to meet 100% of the employees of the company. I felt it was important. In every stop, I will meet partners, and I will meet customers. So you kind of got to mix it up as you go. I, I love that. Randy, I, I don't know if you caught that or not. I love that, you know, the meet the internal team, meet the customers, meet the channel partners, right? Really look at the processes of what they do and how they do it. Randy, and, and I want to go to some of that. We've got some great comments from Nicole and Chris and others. But, Randy, what, what, are, what are some of the big mistakes you see leaders like Bill Hogan, right? Very well experienced, sharp. Gotta know themselves, know what they're looking for. What are some of the what are some of the really challenges? What do you see some of the mistakes they make as they go into a place within the first ninety days? Absolutely, and I, I, I just gotta have this uh, <clears throat> same Nicole said. It's a classic. Hi, Billy. Not true. I had great experience at EMC in that app. Bloods and the Crips. Uh, people with character will rise above and come together and lead, no matter where they are. That's a, that's probably one of the best comments we. Had in 63 years, but thanks, Nicole. Uh, yes, I think the mistakes are going in kind of gangbusters, new leader. And if you think about the mechanics of the 90-day plan, as Bill alluded to, you know, the first month is really just kind of assess, listen, understand, kind of meet with everybody. Uh, second 30 days is kind of starting to formulate your plan. Next 30 days is okay based on you know things that I'm passionate about, what I heard from the team. You know, here's kind of what we're going to do. And as a leader, I always found it very beneficial, whatever you're going to roll out in usually company meetings or town halls, but, you know, kind of mentioning people by name. Hey, this partner gave me that idea. So here's what we're going to do. And, you know, Sally and Susie kind of said it'd be great if we could do this. So, you know, kind of having it be really a, a collective plan. And as a leader, you're really just kind of putting together kind of what's the right success formula for the company. And then other facet to that, secondly, for individual contributors, you know, the, the you know, sales reps or BDRs might say, oh, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a leader. I can't have a 90-day plan. I say you absolutely even more so should have a 90-day plan because you should have specific metrics. And by the way, we have uh, in, in, uh, in my book, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, there are examples of a 90-day plan for reps and for managers but for a rep or a BDR and say, you know, BDR coming in, it's going to be a lot of things. Okay, the first 30 days, how do you get up to speed? Um, you know, what's the product knowledge, sales calls? There's going to be some subjective and objective metrics. But the idea is after 90 days, if you're an individual contributor, you and your manager should know that you're poised for success. And we've all been around organizations where we come in and somebody's been there for, you know, one, two or three years. And they say, oh, this person's awful. And you say, well, how the heck did they last this long? And then I'll always go back to say, well, how the heck they, you know, did they get through the first 90 days? Because there was not a 90-day plan that was getting reviewed. Love that. So, Bill, I want to go back to something you, you and I have talked about before, which I know you're passionate about this, which is this idea of people over products. Talk about what that means and what that <coughs> means to you. Sure. Um, 
So I'll go again, going back to the early days, you know, Dick Egan had a great, and I don't know if he, if he coined it or he stole it from somebody, but there's no points for originality on this side. But, you know, at the end of the day, when in doubt, it's the product stupid. We know that, right? Products, products got to do what it says it's going to do. Um, otherwise, your, your span is going to be limited, right? So up front, especially as sales leaders, we're sales leaders, right? I'm fortunate here. I got a world-class, proven, multi, multi-time over exit CTO. He's awesome. His job's the product. What I got to do in the first 90 days is, is focus on the people and the culture. I, I got to respect the product. I got I to gotta get my own learning path so I understand the product, the tech, the use case, the applicability, you know, the, the battle cards, the playbooks, and making sure we're equipped. But really what I need to do is establish relationships, you know, be a good business partner from the beginning with the different functions across the organization, including products, product tech, marketing, HR, legal, finance, all the different levels of revenue. Um, get to know them one-to-one and understand what's important to them because their success is your success, right? The sales guys get the glory and they get the blame. At the end of the day, we're just a product of the cumulative effort of the whole company. And it's important that you bring everybody together um, along those lines and you consider it. Startups in particular, when people are moving at different speeds, unbeknownst to each other, it can be very problematic, right? So opening up channels of communication, find out what the culture is. Here is a Slack culture, right? Me, if you want me, text me, right? And I tell everybody, you know, listen, Slack culture, I respect it. I will, I will jump aboard and I will get, get on the Slack bandwagon. That being said, if you really need me, text me. I will, I will respond instantaneously, right? And I'll probably never answer the phone. That's a longer conversation. Um, I'll respond to the phone, but I just won't answer it. A book, Powerful Engagement, given to me by Brian Mooney. The message I got out of the book was live in the moment. Don't interrupt what you're focused on to do something else. Multitasking is overrated. You know, if you just give your all attention to what you're working on now and then move on to the next thing, you'll be more productive. What I got out of that was don't answer my phone because <laughs> I'd be interrupting one conversation for another and I can get back to that. You know, the, 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 the concept of influence over authority, sometimes leaders get too caught up in that, you know, org, design, what it means. It's all about influence. And you don't need the authority over a function to have the influence that you need. And authority, whatever, you can have it because, but you, you really need to influence the outcomes that you want. And you have to show people that you care. Tom Mendoza, you know, longtime friend, vice chair in NetApp, he had a saying, which are words to live by. You know, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And, and you have to live that. And people size you up and you either care or you don't. And it becomes very, very easy to understand. Um, you got to get to know your customers and you got to recruit top talent and assess top talent. I'll address the talent thing quickly. You know, multiple people already asked me in my new place, hey, when are you bringing in your team? When are you bringing in your team? Like, I don't, you know, I've been in the industry 30 years. I've been on a bunch of teams, a bunch of teams at EMC, a great team at Storage Apps, a bunch of teams at NetApp, you know, a great team at MyVar, a great team at Fortinet, and fantastic teams over my last four years of security scorecard. So, so which team are you talking about, right? It's like the team that I care about now, it's this team. And this team is going to be a combination of the talent that is already here, the talent that we attract to come. The way I figure out what's the right talent to bring in is assess what I have, augment, elevate, 
and surround, and then the culture will be what we collectively bring together. We've all come from somewhere, right? Our culture here will be, you know, based on the, the actions, activities, and thought, you know, all inspired by a set of shared principles and values. And, you know, what we will be is what our actions say we are. So, uh, so that recruiting top talent starts with assessing what we have, respecting what we have, and, and getting the most out of that talent. Because because uh, we got here without me before I arrived, and and we're going to be in this together uh, for a long time. So what's come before, what's in front of us right now, and then what lies ahead. Great. Hey, uh, I just want to give some shout out. Some people commenting here. Uh, Henri Denny said, uh, "Thankful for Bill's tremendous leadership uh, in his uh, time with Security Scorecard." So I'm sure we got a bunch of security scorecard people that I know were very bummed to uh, see you leave, but fantastic opportunity beyond identity. Uh, Tamika said, uh, the will to win, such true words. Henri chimed back in uh, with a check mark around uh, relationships. And uh, Tim Tolan, uh, also security scorecard, I believe, said the skills as a BDR are core to the principles all speakers just spoke about. Very important to remember into sales roles. Well put, Bill. And then uh, Brian Stenberg may be a little self-serving, but Brian says, Bill, uh, glad to see uh, uh, PC uh, some Providence take down the Johnny's last night. Talk about our networking events uh, Thursday of the Big East. Absolutely. Yeah. By the way, if anybody's looking for me on the Thursday of the Big East, get Vance early. But I will be at Madison Square Garden and at a bar nearby in between and then back at Madison Square Garden all day and then all week. Uh, if you're interested in that, get in touch because it's a, it's a good annual celebration of, uh, of my friends that are interested in the Big East Hoop and the tech community. I know Stanny will be there. There you go. And then, uh, uh, Tucker, we have another question from Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. He says, uh, Bill, what's the impact on, of technology on the sales process? A great mentor of mine said, process first, can you damage your brand with too much volume? So talking about the, uh, I guess, te technology and process aspects. Sure. You know, it's, you know, it always comes down to people, process, and systems, right? And um, again, it, 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 it's, it's, it's wherever you are in your evolution, right? And there's no wrong answer. The, the, the right answer is wherever you are, assess and then move forward. If, 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 we, if we don't have the right systems in place, we still have to do business. If we don't have the right systems in place and we haven't taken advantage of that or taken account for that and built in some, some workarounds, then we'll, we, we're going to be even more broken. So people, process, and system is incredibly important. You know, I owe a tremendous amount of my personal success as a leader to a litany of unbelievable sales ops professionals um, that put up with me regularly and still um, to enable a data-driven, accurate, predictable, and consistent way by which you run the business. You know, for me, it goes back to Laura Chikowski, who was with me at EMC, then Storage Apps, then NetApp, and unfortunately, she's been so successful and has made so much money, I can't afford to hire her anymore. Um, and she's built a legion of people underneath her, Victoria Reale and, and Megan Santiago. And they learned under the best of the business back then. You go back to the early days of EMC with those people who have done that. You know, my current ops team here at Beyond Identity, you know, fast friends. You know, 
Heidi Rauwig, who was my ops person at Security Scorecard over the last year, was one of the best ops people I ever worked with. So respect the data, respect the systems, take the time to understand it. You can't just, you can't bully that. You can't bull rush it. You have to understand it. You have to appreciate it. You have to respect it. And when I used to joke with Vic in particular, when I had my, you know, my, my desire for the data, was it's just a sort, right, Vic? It's just a sort. It's just a never-ending spreadsheet. It's just a sort. Just give me what I want. And uh, But I learned something managing in that particular relationship because she finally snapped one day. And she said, listen, I'm done giving up all my weekends every weekend to give you the data you want on Monday morning. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want you to give up your weekends, right? That was a fundamental break, right? So, yes, I want the data, but not at the expense of the people. And the, there was no process to do it. And her will to win and support and please me, she was giving up her weekends for months. I didn't know. Terrible on me. Terrible on me. Fortunately, it was younger in her career, and she figured it out. And we, we adjusted. It was probably one of the best adjustments I made as a leader, to adjust to what the team could deliver. And we created a calendar and a schedule. And I said, you, you tell me. You know what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for. I don't want fire drills. Fire drills are the worst. You want a consistent, predictable, and accurate you want to know what systems you have, what systems you're going to have to get, and then you have to know that you have workarounds. And then you have to put reasonable expectations on the people that you're counting on to deliver that to you. And you can't just push because I want, I want, I want. If you break them, then you're dead, right? So, so everybody's on a different place in that journey. It has to start with being aware of that and respecting it tremendously and then understand what you can live without and what you can't. And then what you can put on the longer term, you know, let's fix and get there eventually. And then what we can live with now, because, because you know, everybody talks about scale, but you know what doesn't scale? Um, unhappy customers and unhappy employees, right? That doesn't scale. So you, you got to find balance in that and respect it. Absolutely. So just while you're uh, touching on uh, kind of some of the technology and the tools there, uh, we have Outreach as a sponsor, so uh, maybe you could share some uh, perspectives on them and then uh, per perhaps some of the other tools that uh, you like. I think Outreach is great. It's one, it's one, it's one of the better, you know, better uh, utilized tools. Uh, we use it tremendously at Scorecard, and uh, it's, I'm, I'm very, very happy to see that it's uh, a highly utilized tool here. And we actually had two sessions today on expanding its utilization, so that's terrific. Gong is one of the best tools to come along ever, right? The, on, the only way you could give feedback historically was to ride shotgun, right, Randy? I mean, you and I did that a lot, you know, and then anybody who's ever been on a sales day with Randy, at the end of the day, you got the back of his business card filled with handwritten notes on what we need to do, and then he would give you a, a follow-up email that night of everything you should do. He still does it after every meeting. What Gong allows you to do is get truncated versions of every, every meeting that ever happens. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's it's awesome. Uh, it's sortable. It's it's I, I can't imagine living without it. Um, I think those two tools, Salesforce is is the body of truth, right? So it's and everything builds into Salesforce. So you know, I'm you know, companies that don't use it candidly, I don't understand it. I, I get I get you can use other things, but the world builds into it. I think I think you should. You know, there's no reason to fight the world on everything. Um, you know, we use things like Alice for for, for gift management, and um, and but th those are those are the biggies that I hit there. You know, LinkedIn is an unbelievable tool, and all the different variations of the LinkedIn toolkit. Um, 
you know, I think the, I think those are the biggies. Are the others that uh that that you uh that that you've been finding found of, and I'd love to hear actually from the audience if there's particular tools that either one I just missed and I should have mentioned, or that they think are particularly interesting. But I think those are some big ones that I just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Noor, how about getting some of the uh, great questions we have here? Yeah, I love this one from Andrew. How does Beyond approach large enterprise accounts that have existing relationships with security companies to provide DFAs? Can Beyond Solutions integrate with Palo, Cisco, Fortin, and other zero-trust approaches? Um, so we approach, we, we approach every account and situation with respect. You know, we, we, don't, we don't think anybody's made a mistake in decisions that they've made to date. You know, we all we all we all do what we can with the technology that's available to solve the problems, and then we move on. You know, it's not like companies are going to go out of business if they don't buy my product. Um, we have integrations currently with Okta. We have ones with CrowdStrike. We have conversations going on about having uh, additional ones with some of the firewall players mentioned, and and, and we'll get there. Um, the the Okta one is a great integration that just works, right? Because you know, Okta is a good plug. It works. They don't really have something for the, the passwordless piece of it, and, and we just kind of work together there. Um, if you look at next-gen type stuff, you know, there's overlap, but there's overlap with every security company on the planet. You know, we're, we're going to change the front end. Um, we, we'd like to have, and I expect us to have, relationships with Palo, with CrowdStrike, uh, with Deep Instinct, uh, with Sentinel-1. You know, these are going to be, you know, primary players in the space. Everybody has a little bit of piece of the pie. The you know, reality is, like Warmanhoven told me, you know, going on eight years ago now, security is the number one challenge in the marketplace, and it's going to be for the rest of our shelf life. The, the great security company hasn't emerged yet, right? IBM was it, was it at one point. IBM was all things to all people. Then IBM kind of changed its way and became the world's greatest services company. And then EMC became the storage company, Oracle Database, SAP Application, you know, Microsoft, what it did, Dell PC, and, and, and different industries were born, right? And then there's subsets of storage and subsets of all of, all of the above, right? And there's great security companies, but the great security company, the you won't get fired for buying X, that doesn't exist. Palo's a great company, Fortinet, Checkpoint, Juniper, Cisco, they pretty much share that firewall space. There's certain things people like about each one versus the other, um, but but n nobody's dominant. There's no Cisco of the space. Like when I was with EMC back in the late 90s, one, you know, one of the things that I thought we were a little confused on back then were, I mean, Cisco legitimately had 90% of the market share for what they did then. So when you have 90% of the market share, there's certain things you can do, right? EMC, I think at its peak, had like 24%. So there's certain things you just can't do when you only have 24% of the market, but you can't claim. You know, you can be bold, but you also have to be realistic, right? So, so coexistence in the security landscape is essential. Customers would prefer to be able to buy from less companies and solve the bigger piece of the problem. That hasn't matured yet. That hasn't occurred yet. So I fundamentally believe, and I know, we will coexist with great companies to solve big problems for years to come. Mm. There are certain pieces of the stack that we can get rid of. You know, you know, I won't make friends on the MFA side with this, but the government already laid it out. I mean, you, you don't need to do a push MFA ever again, nor should you. You're not more secure by doing it. Actually, you're realistically probably less secure. Didn't realize that two years ago. It is what it is. Sorry. 
So there's a more secure way, an easier way to go there. You're going to see a lot of replacements in that arena. You're going to see a lot of, you know, aggressive sales fights. If there are people from Cisco on the line right now, I apologize in advance. We can still remain friends, but that particular piece of the segment, yeah, we're probably going to disagree on. Um, Palo, no. Fortinet, no. I think we're going to coexist wonderfully. You know, Cisco is interesting in that they have a product for everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So uh, yeah. with respect and with coexistence as a reality. Yeah, I want to shout out to uh, Jesse. Appreciate the kind comment on the uh, RevOps. Uh, Bill Hogan knows this, that uh, Jen Cords from Security Scorecard has joined us. And we've stood up a, a RevOps practice, and we're getting some really good good traction and bringing in the great tools and helping clients tie those together. So thank you for that. Uh, Bill, back to the 90-day focused 90-day, if you will, sprint. You also believe in gaining early wins. Touch up on some of those. Like, what are, you, what are you looking for in that wind in your sale early on to establish the credibility, to establish some momentum, and really get the, the team and customers and channel partners on, on your side with the, with the vision that you have? Sure. Um, I can give you the easy answer first. I'll take any early win where I can get it. <laughs> um, but, but to use a term that you've put into my regular repertoire, we need to be much more intentional than that. Right. So so things like, you know, assess first before you act like I'm, I'm a man of action. Uh, Eric Mann, longtime boss, always said one of the things he respects about me. Alex Jampolsky, my old CEO, really enjoyed a term I use, like, you know, not always right, but never in doubt. Right. You know, so, you know, my ability to make decisions I'm good with. But but you, you got to you got to take the time and be judicious in that. Right. So you do have to assess. I can make some quick decisions. But even in a quick decision, you got to assess the situation, right? You, you want to prioritize, you know, the top two or three things you think you really got to do. You, you can make longer lists and you can, you can take all comers, but you really got to prioritize it and then you got to show progress. You know, you know we're a SaaS-based security company. What are we going to do? We're going to deliver ARR. We're going we're gonna to retain our customers and we're going to increase pipeline, right? Those are the three things I'm going to impact every single day, right? And then and in line all the different functions will kind of get in line and what are the three things we're doing that are going to impact those 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 three items They're the the key metrics for any saas based company you know you know you have to develop coalitions of support you know i learned this as a son of a civil servant like i i got my my the backhand of my father's you know very strong uh, right fist multiple times because i refused to accept the answer because i said so I was 11 years old. I'm like, Dad, that's not an answer. I need to know why. He goes, I'll tell you why. Bang. I'm like, okay. Um, and I, going back to the resilience thing and the, and the perseverance, I just kept on coming back for more. And, um, and he said, you'll see when you're an adult. You'll see when you're a parent. And I will say I love my dad, and he gave me a lot. Um, and and the, the, the work ethic and the, the resiliency was there. But, but I've held true to form. Because I said so is not a good enough answer. Sometimes it has to be, right? But you have to earn the respect. You got to tell people why. You have to show them how or be open to letting them show you how. Because when people understand why and they understand how or they can bring you as part of that mix, what you can accomplish is so much greater than just telling them they have to do so. You have to define success. You know, this is where experience comes in. You asked a question earlier about experienced leaders. You know, people that know what good looks like, and I say that sometimes, and I get a quizzical look from the person I'm talking to, and I get concerned because they don't know what I mean. I mean, it's like, well, all right, so, so 
we need to get there because you don't know what good luck is like here in this situation. I need to find that. And then you have to be clear in defining that success. You have to clarify, collaborate, communicate, right? The expectation setting is so critical for this. And along the way, you get quick wins. And I'll give you two examples of quick wins here. You know, there was a young leader here who was hired to run a component of the sales team. They made a shift in the adjustment. He became an individual contributor. And he was one of the top individual contributors in the company last year. When we kind of looked at where the product has matured and where the market's going, we're definitely aligning a, a much more aggressive go-to-market. This guy's chomping at the bit to go run that commercial team. Quick win for me, give him the opportunity. On paper, I would hire him. I met him in person, I would hire him. He's been here, he's performed. He's dying for this job. I want that guy in that job. I hired him right away, promoted him right into the spot. Quick win, quick win. The team supports it, they rally around it, that's great. We got some hiring to do. There's some people that have some diverse skills that, that want to branch out into different parts of the organization. Support them. Quick wins. Quick wins. You know, these are, there's some things in, in the comp plan that, that are causing salespeople grief and causing the finance people grief. I kind of figured that out quickly. I'm like, okay, well, let's just end those. And everybody's like, oh, that'd be great. Okay, good. Quick win, right? So, so huh. you know, there's other wins you get out there, but you get them where you can, but you have to listen in order and figure out where you get them along the way. Uh, Randy, uh, Bill also okay. contributed to the, uh, to the book a couple of sections. He, he did. And I just want to make sure we can't read them all, but just give shout outs. So thanks for the comments from uh, Peter, uh, Chris Lucas. Great to see you. Uh, Tom wants your miles. Uh, Frank Roush has put in a plug for uh, Checkpoint, of course. And da, 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 da. Uh, Laura has an awesome uh, comment on you, which is so true. It's easy to work for a leader like Bill when you know how much he cares. He's incredible loyal. He has a great vision and strategy. You want to be part of his team because you're always learning and having fun while doing it. I owe a lot of my success to Bill, and bless, I get to call him a friend. So, Laura, uh, so very well said. Uh, and uh, uh, Mike says another great session. So, yes, so getting to the book. Um, so for those that don't have it, you can go to uh, salescommunity.com slash book or Amazon. And uh, Bill Knorr and uh, several other great leaders uh, kindly contributed. Uh, Bill has three fantastic um, uh, write-ups that he has. Maybe I'll uh, ask about two of them. So, Bill, uh, one of them is talking about relationships and the super six and the dirty dozen. Tell us about that. Sure. So that's, a, that's a Scotty Bird favorite from, uh, from NetApp's days gone by. So, um, you know, we all have variations of, you know, how we assess and prioritize uh, important relationships for us. The super six emanated from identifying six people internal to the organization that are most critical to your success. You know, it's a big company, whatever size company you're at, there's lots of people, but pick six, pick six. And then, and then the selection process is one thing. Then once you pick the six, then the follow on question is why? Then the follow on question is, do they know? And then the follow on question is, what are you doing about it? Right. And that of itself, just going through the exercise, a lot of good things happen, right? Because you're never on an island doing it yourself and you need to have constituencies and coalitions internally that are helping you in, in your success. So that's the super six. Dirty Dozen, similar concept except the external facing resources. Pick the 12 people that are most important to your success in this coming year. Could be a channel partner, rep, could be a 
uh, an owner of a channel partner, could be a coach, could be five CIOs or CISOs of your biggest customers. Um, you know, the mileage can vary on who those people are. Same set of questions that follow on. Why? Do they know? What are you doing about it? Right? And then you should, you should kind of revisit that every three, six months or so and keep yourself honest. Are you doing your part in relationship management? You know, are, are you picking, are you aware of what this is? You'd be amazed at how many accomplished salespeople can't finish the first phase of the exercise. You know, right? And it's okay, by the way. That's okay. But if you don't, if you don't want to do it, I guess you don't have to. But, man, I, I've never met one that once they kind of went through it on the back end didn't say that was a really good self-analysis. And then most go to it's a really good continued analysis to make sure that you're, you're, you're building those relationships, building those coalitions, and, and being a good you know, partner to others and having them be a good partner to you. Absolutely. And uh, Noor, you wrote uh, Relationship Economics. Uh, any tidbits you want to chime in on? Yeah, I just want to give uh, the audience uh, three quick points. One, uh, Bill is exactly right. you got to start with those relationships inside the organization. I want you to think like a family. If it's dysfunctional on the inside, everybody's going to see it. Two is the customers. Those customers are invaluable early on. If you build advocates out of them, if you build champions out of them, they'll do a lot of your reference selling for you. Three is absolutely the channel partners and those that also have relationships at the edge. You got to pick a few and love on them and really make sure that they also represent you, your brand, the values that you deeply believe in. So I love this question by, by Darcy. Hi, Bill. I'm a top SDR in my company. How do I get promoted to an AE or a frontline manager? Also, how do we get more women like me in sales? Um, good way for her to get hired here is send me your resume. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Darcy, Hogan Darcy, there you go. Identity.com. <laughs> or you can just get through. Wait, wait, say, say it again, Bill. Bill.Hogan. Bill, say it again. BeyondIdentity.com. Darcy, I would there send you your resume to Bill Hogan today, like now. <laughs> that, that, that said, the, the broader answer there um, is, you know, there's questions to ask of yourself. How long have you been in the role? What have you done to... Put yourself in that role. Have you have you exhausted the training? Have you exhausted the networking? Are you, have you essentially put yourself in the mindset of what it takes to be in that job and almost, almost come short of just doing the job, right? Really getting yourself prepared as opposed to waiting for the anointment, right? That's a piece that's lost on a lot of young professionals these days. Sometimes you think that you just put the time in and, you, and you're going to get it. Those that, those that can get, right? If you don't ask, you don't get. You got to be mindful. You got to be respectful. But you still got to push. I signed up for a two-year program when I started EMC. I got my first job offer to the field after three months. Tom Heiser bitch slapped me, if you're still allowed to say that, and told me to get back. I don't think so. I got I got a second. I apologize for that. Um, uh, I really do sincerely apologize for that. Um, then then five two months later, I got my second job offer. Three months later, I got my third job offer. Nine months in, I got the offer to come to New York. And Tom was like, you wore me down. That's where you're from. You were probably born to sell in New York. Go ahead. <laughs> right? So, you know, you, you got to just be make sure that you, you should clearly have demonstrated that you're the best in your comparison class. And usually when you look right to left, you're setting the bar too low anyway. 
and you need to be looking up two levels ahead of you and outside the organization. And how do you stack up against them? Because that's who your that's who your competition is. It's not the people sitting right and left. It's it's the other people externally that potentially bring more to the table. Yeah, so so great. Uh, so Darcy's, uh, Darcy says she's going to go apply. Darcy, I'd say uh, go to bill.hogan at beyondidentity.com. Forget about the website. Yeah. Uh, go, go right to You the can source. get the website and apply also, but I would, I would go with the referral. There you go. And uh, Suzanne, great uh, marketing leader from uh, Security Scorecard now at Mimecast. Thanks for your, for your great comments. So anyway, t time flies when you're having fun. Uh, really appreciate everybody watching. Uh, feel free to pass it along. Uh, you can go to salescommunity.com, uh, the top of the website. We also have now a free newsletter. Uh, we're up to, I think, about 6,000 uh, uh, subscribers. Uh, this week, uh, the theme is around giving and getting feedback. Other editions uh, have uh, my, my goals, leadership, a whole, whole bunch of great tidbits in there as well. And uh, Nord, as always, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, Bill, any uh, closing words of wisdom for the audience? You know, it's, um, you know, again, to go back to the theme of the first 90 days, you know, the, the, cor the courtship and recruitment, that's, that's romance, right? Um, when, when you get the job, you know, that, that's marriage, right? So that, that's when you're in it for the long haul. That's when you, you really got to commit to everything that's there. So, you know, when, when you first get in, you got to become, you got to come ready to, ready for bear. And you have to be able to commit, you know, commit because it, it's, it's, it's never going to be as good as it looks from the outside. Most likely there's going to be stuff that you're going to have to deal with. Just embrace it and get after it and, and be committed to it. Um, you know, the, 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 the last piece is, you know, just a couple of basic things. Just be prepared. Accelerate your learning piece. That, that's important. You know, match the strategy to the situation that you're in. You know, negotiate successes with your peers, with your boss, with your board, you know, with your subordinates. You know, have everybody have a piece in it. Secure those early wins. You know, achieve alignment, build your team, right? Be yourself. Be the best version of you you can be. And, and that consistency will be contagious. And, and you, you will show and demonstrate the type of leader you want to be, the type of leader that you, you want to be emanated, and that you, the type of values that you want pushed through your organization and success will follow. There you go. Well said. And uh, lastly, thanks to Outreach for sponsoring today. So once again, Bill, thanks so much. Nora, thanks so much. Everybody have a good one. This gets posted on LinkedIn Live and a whole bunch of other spots. So uh, t tell others to come and watch. And uh, have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Always